This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us for the latest podcast in the University of Aberdeen's Cafe Connect series. So, um, Cafe Connect exists really to bring um, research and the public together, to bring the, you know, the, the latest research which touches upon aspects of our everyday life or, or things that we read about all the time. And um, today I'm joined by my colleague, uh, Dr. Malcolm Harvey. Malcolm is a lecturer in politics at the University of Aberdeen, but I shall, I shall hand over to Malcolm in a minute. But just to say that the, the topic for today's Cafe Connect is the, the, you know, the, the recent series of events in American politics around about the election, the post-election events leading up to the inauguration of Joe Biden and, and how, how politics is going to be moving forward in, in the United States of America. So as I say, you know, really looking at research which impacts and things that we know. And I mean, this this has been writ large in the news of, of late. But Malcolm, maybe you'd like to uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Um, yeah, I'm I'm a, a lecturer in, in politics and, and international relations. I'm currently on a Fulbright scholarship um, at Villanova University in Philadelphia right now. Um, it's it's much sunnier, I think, here. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting place to be right now. Obviously, post-election, um, the, the, the new presidency, the new administration, um, and a lot of things still to sort out from November, from the election, uh, the incoming administration, um, the, the, the trifecta that the Democrats have now in terms of control um, in U.S. Congress and the the, the presidency as well, um, so it's a it's a very interesting time to be here, um, and I look forward to to sharing some thoughts about the the, the process with you. Indeed, and actually, sorry, of course, you, you pointed out there. I hadn't actually introduced myself. I'm I'm Chris Crowley. I I take care of the public engagement with research unit at the the University of Aberdeen. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Really, the fact that you're in America is is fantastic. It just adds to the uh, adds to what we're talking about today. But yes, you see, right, we've just had the inauguration of the forty sixth president of the United States of America, Joe Biden. He was the winner. But there still seems to be two schools of thought in this, Malcolm. Is, well, there's not. There was a winner. But there are people who claim there isn't. Yeah, I mean, this is still an ongoing debate. It, it certainly is. Um, we had, um, you know, for, for, for all good and bad of the US over the last what, 240 years of its existence, um, there have been challenges about elections. There have been contested elections. There have been elections which um, one candidate has won the popular vote and the other candidate has won the Electoral College. And we saw that in 2016, most recently. But we've never really had an election where one candidate has contested the result right up until the point at which the new president has been inaugurated. So it has been a pretty unprecedented period in American history. And I think we've also seen with the you know with the scenes at the capitol on on the 6th of january we've seen that you know sparking into into violence in ways that i don't think i was going to say I, I don't think anyone expected i think that's perhaps the wrong phraseology because i think if you've been following us politics over the last 4 years i think this was always a likely outcome given the way that the atmosphere had been charged and given the way that there's no, you know, kind of, there's no nice way of putting this, but the, the president had been fanning the flames of this. Um, and so I, I think the, 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 the riots or the, the, the protest at the Capitol that became a riot, that became 
a storming of the um, the seat of U.S. democracy was in some ways inevitable. I think you know the 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 temperature had been had been ratcheted up that much that if you'd been following U.S. politics, I mean it was shocking. There's no question about yeah. that. But I think you know if you were shocked by it, you hadn't really been paying attention. No, indeed. I mean you're right. This this is to a certain extent a reflection of how divisive things have become in American politics recently, how better, how, how people couldn't find common ground anymore, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the, the opposition were suddenly the enemy rather than just simply another party vying for power with a slightly different take on broadly the same sort of politics or broadly the same range of policies. Um, and yes, <laughs> you know, I want to be as, as, as fair as possible to Donald Trump within this. And of course, he was absolutely right to, if he felt that there was electoral fraud, that he should have contested that. And that was, and it was contested in the courts. And the courts, I not, not universally, but probably about 99.9% rejected these cases. And of course, actually, that, that does, does lead to the interesting point that this doesn't exist in a vacuum. So I believe that um, the companies behind the 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 electoral machines have 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 sued Rudy Giuliani and various other people now, you know. So that this is part of a sort of wider network there. But yeah, Donald Trump's role within that, that, that yeah, I mean, but let's cut straight to the events of January the sixth because you're right. That's absolutely unprecedented, shocking images. Seen around. I mean, I certainly watched it live. Couldn't quite believe what I was watching, and I also watched his his speech not long before it. And it was yeah, if you like the straw that broke the camel's back. In my mind, I mean, I absolutely uh, think so. I mean, I think what we'll find in the the coming weeks with the. The, the, the US Senate's trial um, on the, the second impeachment of, of Donald Trump, the evidence in that is going to come out and they're going to you know seek to explore the role that that speech, the, 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 the speech to the, the protesters before um, before the, the, the riot on the 6th of January, they're going to, they're going to explore what impact that had on it. But I think there's I, for, for me there's there's no question. I mean when you spend the months leading up to the election, casting doubt about the integrity of um, those that are running the election, the the, the poll machines, um, and as you said, you know they've they've started to, to sue various bodies for, um, for 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 what was said about them in the aftermath, and um, when you start to make make claims about that process uh, and suggest that you know from a perfectly legitimate position because Democrats were largely voting by post and Republicans were largely voting in person and the in-person votes were going to be counted first. You know, this was this is a natural process um, that the, the Republicans in most cases were going to be ahead because those votes were counted first. And then it was only when the, the mail-in ballots, the postal votes were counted that the Democrats were going to take the lead in a lot of these places. And that's as it happened, that's as it, as it, as it turned out. But if you're telling your followers that this is all a trick, that um, you know we were ahead, and then there was these massive vote jump dumps that that you know Democrats were, you know, were stealing the election, and then after the election result becomes formalized and confirmed, you're still challenging it. Um, you're 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 you know talking through the process and saying you know this this is damaging to U.S. democracy and it's it's cheated and and stolen and all these kinds of things. You're going to rile people up, and that that was entirely his intention. Um, he, 
you know, he said by his own his own his own mouth that he does not lose well. Um, and this, you know, you know, this is a, a really clear example of it. Now, it might be the fact that he doesn't believe that he lost and that he believes that it was stolen from him. But there is absolutely no evidence of that. Um, you know, the, the Trump campaign took around 50 lawsuits to various courts in the US. They lost all bar one of those. Um, and the one that they won was on a technicality about people standing a little bit closer to view the polling um, uh, the polling results as they were coming in. Um, so the courts found no problem with the, the process. And, you know, in, in a lot of the places that he was challenging the process, it was his party that were running the, you know, the elections in those places. And um, particularly Georgia, he had a lot of problems uh, in Georgia and with, with the, the Georgia returning officer, um, who, to be incredibly fair to him, stood his ground and said, look, this is not how we do things in this country, Mr. President, and, and you know, told him to, 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 to stand down, basically. Um, so, I mean, my impression or my understanding of, of that speech is, you know, you, you, you used the phrase, the straw that broke the camel's back. My, my, my kind of metaphor, I suppose, is, is the shouting fire in a crowded theatre. You can't do that. When people are charged up as, as they were and ready to riot, you know, he just lit the spark of that revolution. And, and I think, I, I think he, he understood full well what he was doing um, there. Um, and I think... In some ways, his his vice president was the, you know, the biggest fall guy in that because for the last four years, Mike Pence has been the the most loyal of his his cronies, if you like. He stood yeah. past, he stood by him, you know, during the election campaign when there was the the Access Hollywood tape, which you know would have sunk any other candidate, and um, we don't need to say any more about it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, for for someone that like Mike Pence, who is a, an evangelical Christian. Who, you know, that his I think he and his wife were absolutely disgusted by that, and there was about forty eight hours that during which he and and Donald Trump, the candidate, did not talk, and it was it was almost at the point where Pence was going to drop off the ticket, and he decided to stick with them, and the rest, as they say, is is history, and he was he was the most loyal through that through those four years. Um, and to see Donald Trump turn on him uh, in that way, and the way he did on the on the sixth of January, you know that that must have been, you know, pretty hard for for Mike Pence to take, given the loyalty that he'd shown. So I think you know yeah. that that was that was a kind of that was almost the most shocking bit of it. In a, in a day of shocks and a, a four years of, of of shocking moments, I think that was that was probably up there. I mean, it's not far to say that that, that Pence and uh, and others, you know, were more or less, you know, fleeing for their lives, really. Or the very, you know, whilst, whilst it might not have came to their lives, they would certainly have felt that at that moment, and that's that's what's important, yeah. Absolutely, and I think we saw um, earlier this week actually um, the the congresswoman from New York, Alexandria uh, Ocasio Cortez, um, did a, an Instagram live video where she talked about she talked about her experience of, of uh, being trapped in the Capitol on the sixth of January, and she did fear for her life. I mean, she yeah. she talked about and, and compared it to uh, a previous experience um, of of being uh, sexually abused. And she said the feelings were very similar. You know, there was a real concern 
um, for, for, for their lives at that point. And I've, I've heard a number of, of uh, representatives in the chamber talking um, about their experiences on the day. And it's, and it's pretty harrowing, you know, listening to that. You know, that's a place of, of work. It's a place where, you know, you're going to, as representatives of the people and expecting to be safe and expecting to be able to express your views. And, and for that to be kind of snapped out of existence in that moment yeah. um, is, is, is terrifying. And I think, you know, absolutely, you know, the, the vice president, you know, the, the entire Senate, the entire House of Representatives, you know, very... A very scary moment, I think, and yeah. and you know there there were there were real dangers in, at play on that yeah. day, and you know and beyond that as well, it's the symbolism as well, isn't it? I mean, it's it's there is that, but it's you know the capital is the symbol of of democracy in the world. America is the largest, most important, most powerful democracy in the world. I think that's that's not an it's not an unfair statement to make. So to see this happening there, I mean, obviously, I don't want to do down the mother of parliaments down in, in Westminster either there, but. But yeah, it's it's the symbolism of seeing this overrun overrun so quickly as well, you know. I think that's that's absolutely it. And I mean, I yeah, I said you shouldn't be shocked by it, but the images were shocking, you know. And and it it, it is about that. It's about you know America. If this had happened anywhere else, and it has happened in other places recently, you know, we've seen that in in Myanmar, and and the the American administration has been kind of. You know, very resolute in in you know calling it what it is a military coup, um, and yet you know just you know less than a month ago you saw these scenes at the U.S. Capitol, uh, and it was you know it was a it was a mob, overrunning the seat of democracy, and you know it, it doesn't really matter how you say that or how many times you say it, you're never really going to get your head round just how big an event that is. Yeah, but. But at the end of the day, Malcolm, democracy prevailed. Congress and Senate came back into session. The electoral you know, college votes were certified and, and Joe Biden was inaugurated. But for really for that to happen, it took Mike Pence, Mitch McConnell, you know, a, a lot of other people as well, but to stand up and say no. You know, so the democracy came down to one or two key people, effectively, really. It, it it did and, and and I suppose the interesting bit about this and this is you know this is not to let the Republican Party off the hook here, because there were people like Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Josh Hawley, that still resolutely stood up and said you know these results should not be certified and they went back and they looked at Pennsylvania they had votes on that they looked at Arizona they had votes on that they challenged in Nevada they challenged Georgia as well, um so yes absolutely um you know a couple of people changing their mind or, or at least, you know, drawing back a little bit from their support of the president um, and, and really helping the, the wheels of democracy to, to move forward. And I think you're right. You know, it was absolutely hugely important that Congress came back that night and they sat until three, four in the morning to make sure they got through those uh, those things. But, you know, as a symbol, that was really, really important. You know, the, the yeah. fact that, it, that democracy had overcome um, and it would not be cowed, and the pe- the public would be heard um, in the in the aftermath of something like that. Really, really important symbolically, um, and also obviously officially as well, because it required to be done in order that the inauguration could go forward. Um, you know, a couple of weeks later. So it was, yeah, it was. It it came down to the institution and the actors as well to play a a, a large role in in basically getting the show back on the road, um, recovering from that 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 moment, 
um, and taking forward US democracy the way it was supposed to be done. So there's, you know, okay, this is going to be a half hour podcast until, so we'll need to try and keep it to that. But there's, I mean, there's a number of things that come out of that that I think we need to touch on, you know, the, the future of the, the Republicans, the grand old party, the GOP. But I'd like to also touch upon the, the impeachment that you, you mentioned there as well, but also the process, the American presidential election process. I was I, I, a long time ago as an undergraduate at the University of Strathclyde and taught by John Curtis and a number of other people. You know, um, I, I learned about uh, the, the, the intricacies and uh, ins and outs of the American electoral process. However, this year I know it better than I ever probably have. But my goodness, there are so many stages and so many ways in which it could potentially have fallen down or been intervened with. You know, is, is, is it time for reform? Well, um, I think it's, it's, it's long overdue for reform. Um, I think we're, you know, we're in a situation where the, the, the style of politics and you know, the, the size of the country now, it doesn't fit with an 18th century idea of, of how to elect a president. Um, and how to elect Congress for that matter as well, but we'll maybe park that um, for the moment. Um, but I, I don't think that there is any chance that it happens. And, and the reason for it is because of the polarisation that we've spoken about. Um, when the parties are so far apart uh, as they are at the moment, um, you know, they're, they're, it's a kind of sense of we give no quarter to the other side. Um, so, you know, towards the end of the, the Trump administration, um, the, the Republicans rushed to get another Supreme Court justice um, appointed to the to the uh, to the bench, um, whereas in the in you know in the eleven months uh, at the end of Barack Obama's term, um, the Republican Senate held off on appointing another um, Supreme Court justice so that the next Republican president that that's what they were hoping for and that's what they got would be able to um, appoint them. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the Republican tactic. On the Democratic side, they want to get statehood for, for Washington, D.C., and potentially for, for Puerto Rico as well. They're talking about expanding the Supreme Court, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, so, you know, they've, they've, they've both got their, their kind of pet projects, if you like, at either end of the political spectrum. Um, and there's no middle ground there. There's, there's no, you know... It's, it's a kind of quid pro quo. If you're going to do this, then we're going to retaliate with this. Yeah. Um, and the electoral process um, is something that is, is very difficult to change anyway, because it requires two thirds majorities in both the, the House of Representatives and the Senate. And it also needs three quarters of the US states to ratify. Um, now, that's an almost impossible um, barrier to achieve because there's so many of the US states that would be disadvantaged by this because, you know, the small states are the ones that really benefit from the Electoral College. Um, and, you know, taking that away would, would mean that they were kind of much more limited in what they, um, what they could kind of influence in, in the election. So I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's likely, um, but I think there, there are a number of ways in which it could be changed without being formally changed, constitutionally changed. And one thing that has, that has kind of become vaguely popular in, in recent years is the idea 
and I can't, I can't remember the order of the words here, um, but the, 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 the popular vote interstate compact or something like that. Um, so basically what happens is that there's a number of, of votes, a number of states that have signed up to this and they've pledged to give their electoral college votes to the winner of the popular vote nationwide, irrespective of whether they win that state or not. Now, it's not formalized yet because they haven't got to 270 votes. They haven't got enough states signed up to make to make up to 270. Um, so um, it's, it's not in play uh, at the moment and there potentially would be um, legal challenges to it where it applied. Um, but it's certainly an idea that's been kicking around for a few years and it seems like it would be the kind of thing that would solve, you know, the, the popular vote winner not winning the Electoral College, as we saw in 2016. Um, but it wouldn't solve a lot of the other problems with the with the Electoral College, um, not least that the, the candidates can campaign in about six or seven different states and win the election without actually visiting uh, a lot of the US. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sceptical about any real chances of, of reform, I think. Okay, and, and yes, you're right. I mean, it's so politicised and highly charged right now that any any reform would be controversial, watered down, not quite what anybody would maybe really want. And, and of course, Americans are so wedded to the Constitution, we the people, it's it's such part and parcel of America, how Americans see themselves, and uh, fair enough. Yeah. So, yes, the but for the, the grand old party, is it is it civil war? Is this, is this what we're seeing here? We're certainly seeing a fracture in the, the party. Yes, and, and we have for a number of years. Um, Tim Alberta, um, who writes for the, the, the website um, Political, I think, um, has a fantastic book about the Republican Party. It's called American Carnage. Um, you know, it's about, you know, a good two and a half, three inches thick. Um, and it goes back and talks about the 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 challenges and the changes within the party from from just before Barack Obama was elected in 2008 so just after the George Bush presidency right through to the emergence of, of Donald Trump as their their standard bearer um, and and you know even at that point when Barack Obama takes over as as president uh, as democratic president in 2008 you're looking at the Republican Party and they're not the Republican Party of Ronald Reagan in the 1980s and the moral majority. Because George Bush had planned to do that, then 9-11 got in the way and he became a war president and became foreign policy focused and he had to spend a lot more money than he had intended to do. Um, and, and so taxes kind of went up a little bit and the party became much more, um, you know, a, a higher spending party. And, and so, you know, from that point on, they lost the kind of characteristics of what had made them a Conservative Party, a Republican Party. And so they were kind of floundering a little bit in terms of ideology. And that continued right through um, the Obama presidency. And we saw the emergence of the Tea Party, you know, as a reaction to the, um, the global financial crisis and, you know, Obama's bailing out banks and mortgage lenders and these kinds of things. Um, and so, you know, that was the kind of that was the kind of right wing shift that the party took. And there were a number of, of, of kind of leaders. Ted Cruz was was one of them, I think, at that point, um, who, you know, was 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 really kind of pushing this direction. Marco Rubio, um, a Florida senator, another. Um, and so they, they kind of moved in that in that direction um, through the, the early 2010s. 
Um, and it's only really with, with Trumpism that, that the party really departed from, from some kind of, of, of centrist position to take up a much more right-wing position. And I suppose the problem for the, the Republicans at the moment, and it's quite a big problem, is that 74 million people voted for Donald Trump. But you don't yes. know yeah. you don't know if they were voting for Donald Trump and Trumpism or if they were voting for traditional Republican values. And I imagine some were voting for, for each of those those things. And so the difficulty for them is whether they make a break with Trumpism, find that centrist position, and try to attract some more centrist, moderate Democrats back across to support them, or whether they go the other way, continue with Trumpism, have a candidate that is going to be more on the right of the party, um, and then appeal to those people that have supported Trump over the last four years to stay with the, the, the party. And that's really what we're seeing in the GOP at the moment, is this this fight over the soul of the party. You've got the kind of more moderates um, who are trying to shift them back to a more centrist position, trying to kind of normalise their, their their politics again. Um, and then you've got the, the kind of Senator Cruz's, Senator Hawley, um, even Kevin McCarthy, the, the, the House Minority Leader, who went to Florida to speak with the, the former president, you know, kind of almost still with those sympathies on the right. Um, and, and I think, you know, McCarthy's support for uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene in uh, recent instances um, emphasises that that's where the leadership of the party still is. The interesting character here, I think, is, is, is Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, um, because he, he has had a little bit of a transition away from being a kind of loyal Trump supporter um, to more of a, of a sceptic and more of a centrist. And I think um, what he does next and whether he can carry some of the Senate with him, the Senate Republicans with him, is going to be quite interesting, especially on the, the, um, the vote to convict on impeachment in the Senate, which is upcoming. Okay, I mean, and so there's there's the you know if if you like the, the the final question or so just as we come towards a half hour, this the, the impeachment the trial itself. So if it happens, a second impeachment, not it's not unprecedented. A is second it, or... impeachment is yes. Uh, it is it is right. Okay. Donald right. Trump is the is the first U.S. president to be impeached twice, um. So he's he's winning at something, um. Um, and that and the impeachment has already happened. You know the the, the House of Representatives um, voted to impeach him before he left office, but then they moved the articles of impeachment to the Senate for the trial, uh, which will begin um, uh, at the, at, in the second week of February. And um, it requires uh, a, a two-thirds majority in the Senate to to support it to to vote for conviction. Um, so basically, it requires 17 Republicans to break with the party. All the Democrats will vote for it, um, but I think it's unlikely that the 17 Republicans will will support it to, to convict. So I think it's unlikely um, that, that, that the president is convicted. Um, if, however, those 17 Republicans do support it, um, the, the Senate would then have to have a, a second vote to disbar Donald Trump from standing in an election again. And that um, only requires a majority. So if the president is 
convicted in the Senate, then I think it's it's very likely they will call for that further punishment and they will disbar him from 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 standing um, again uh, for election. Um, and I think actually that is that's almost the teaser for some Republicans, um, yeah. um, because some of them, for for a number of different reasons, some of them ideologically don't want Donald Trump anywhere near the party anymore, but others. They don't want him to be able to stand in 2024, but they want to take on the mantle of Donald Trump in 2024. So the likes of Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Je uh, Josh Hawley, particular, maybe it's too early for Hawley, but certainly Cruz is thinking this, that if they don't disbar Donald Trump for, from 2024, then he can stand again and may well do, or he may well get one of his, his kids to stand um, for, for president in 2024. But if he's out of the way, the road is clear for another Trumpist candidate. So Senator Cruz, he can't vote for impeachment, for, for conviction, and he can't vote for disbarring, but he won't be too displeased if it happens because it opens up an opportunity for him. And these are the kind of Machiavellian moves that are happening even right now in the run-up to 2024. I mean, the election's just happened, the inauguration's just happened, but we've already started the, you know, the running for president in 2024, and that's just how US politics works on election cycle. You know, one just finishes and the next one begins almost straight away. So, Malcolm, I mean, thank you for what has been an introduction to the complexities of, of what's been going on in, in, in recent months, and it's a shame, really, to, to call it quits at half an hour because we could carry on talking for a long time about this. But I think maybe let's 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 revisit this one maybe in a month or two's time, see where we are. We can maybe pick up another podcast to, to, to carry the conversation on. But in the meantime, this it's been fascinating and thank you very much for giving up your time to talk to us today. Um, I should say as well that um, normally our, our cafes, when they happen face-to-face, -face, um, would encourage question and answer. And just because this is online, that, that, that shouldn't be any different. So if people would like to email in a question, they can email it to peru at abdn.ac.uk. So that's P-E-R-U at abdn.ac.uk. And I will happily forward those questions on to you. But in the meantime, Malcolm, thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.